Hey everybody, my name is Cameron Kelleher and welcome to the Great Design Lead Podcast. I am currently a developer and I am working on a booking channel platform for travel coordinators. Nice. <laughs> so nice to be here with you. Yeah, this is my, I, I was very nervous about this because my first in-person podcast. Yeah. So I might like, not be looking at you the whole time because usually every other podcast I've done, I've just like been looking at the ground. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly what you're supposed to do in these kind of situations. Like, do you make eye contact or what? But um, I mean, usually on other podcasts, you'll see it and they're set up like on a couch and they're all kind of like looking sort of across at each other. So you see them. They're much like more chill. Yeah. No, this is perfect. Though. This is perfect. I'm sure we'll get into you some good stuff. In my apartment with my one microphone. <laughs> Hey, whatever works. But yeah, so uh, so I guess we'll just start with like how we know each other. So yeah. uh, I found out about you. I decided to go see Fast and Furious nine, nine. Yeah. yeah. As as a joke <laughs> with Lauren. Yeah. <laughs> and and we were we hadn't seen each other in so long. Lauren uh, and I. Uh, Lauren's a friend of mine from uh, uh, freshman year. And we were uh, roommates over the summer. And so we hadn't seen each other forever. So we went to go see Fast and Furious. And she was like, hey, you know, like, I'm talking to somebody and he's really cool. And you two probably, like, have a lot of stuff in common. Like, you should go talk to him about, like, coding and tech and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay. And then uh, you came over. And I was like, I didn't know what to do like as a thing because I was like I'm poor I don't I can't go out to eat <laughs> that's fine and, and I was like I don't know what to do and so I decided to do the pizza thing mm-hmm. because it was really fun and it was delicious <laughs> yeah yeah so I like I like made all of this uh the pizza dough and all that kind of stuff and the new guys came over and it was really fun and I was like I was like really impressed with you because you were like really nice and you you were able to talk to me about all the stuff that like I was super interested in and um and I don't know the other people at the table were like probably a little confused yeah <laughs> that's fine but um but yeah so I remember and then and then we went out um uh, as a group mm-hmm. and at the end uh my friends and I were talking about you and they were like so what exactly does he do and I'm like I I think I know yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a really difficult question to answer, and I don't know if I know exactly how to answer it myself, but we can dig into some <laughs> of the things that I do, and uh, maybe you'll get a better idea of it. Yeah, um, I, I guess my, my question is, um, it's kind of more of a situational thing, but like, how do you explain it to your grandparents? That is something that I think about frequently, because people will ask that question, like, what do you do? Sometimes, and I feel like a lot of people have concise answers of like, oh, I'm a strategist at this company, or yeah. I have position X, Y, Z. And I don't know what to say exactly because I have my hands in a bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. um, And I kind of jump around between what I think is interesting at the time, which can rapidly change. Um, Mm -hmm. But generally, I would just say to my grandparents that I would be some sort of developer or Mm -hmm. programmer because it's just an easy explanation, honestly. And it just gives it gives enough context to know that I know like programming. I'm a computer guy in their eyes. That's (laughs) how they'll see it. Um, And that's fine by me. I'm totally fine with being seen as a computer guy uh, in their eyes. But in reality, I have my hands in a bunch of different things, like small business ventures here and there, a lot mm-hmm. of security-related stuff, web design, which I'm not great at, but I can do it, and then back-end <laughs> programming, which is really my strength, yeah. um, specifically within the context of secure programming and um, that kind of stuff, and the systems administration, cloud computing, all these, all these different things, but they all kind of fall under the tech guy thing, yeah. which I don't think is really that unique of a title, but it's fine. I'll, I'll just say that to them. When I was uh, learning a 
about you from my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I heard a bit about like you growing up and stuff, and she said that like you've been doing this kind of stuff since forever, pretty much. Oh, so since very young. What I what I saw from online is that like you're from Massachusetts, yeah. though, right? Okay. And like so, I guess what, what were you like back then? Do you do you, do you have like a, your earliest memory of like you being interested in tech and computers and stuff? Well, I think it all, well, I know it's all rooted in Minecraft, surprisingly. Oh, really? Yeah, so I was big on the Minecraft stuff for probably four or five years. Um, yeah. So I was pretty young, probably 11, 12 years old, and I would play Minecraft with my friends, and I wasn't really up to anything <laughs> else super interesting, but just being a normal kid, and then we played Minecraft, and we would join servers, and I realized that these servers would collect donations in order to like give people an advantaging game that give them sort of like micro purchases. Okay. Um, and then in exchange for those donations, they would keep a server online because it costs money to keep a server online um, to pay for hardware and hosting and whatever. And of course the owners want to make a healthy profit because they're putting a lot of effort into building the server. Yeah. So I was like, okay, like this is cool. Like I'm going to do this. I want to make my own server. I want to be in control of the server and like, <laughs> run one. That'd be so much fun. And then I can make my own things. And then we started off, we made small servers, and then we, like, I turned $100 into a couple thousand dollars, and we were able to, like, scale up that way. And, and just, how old were you? By the time that happened, um, probably 13. But, I mean, that's not that crazy. Uh, there's a lot of... When you say build a server, what does that mean? So, create... So, you first need to buy hosting yeah. to host the server somewhere in some data center, which I had no understanding of at the time. So, we yeah. buy managed hosting and be like, okay, here's the address that people join. I'd be like, okay, great. Um, and then you, like, create game modes within that server. So, a big popular one was called Factions, where people create teams, and then they go off and they build bases, and they can raid each other and fight, and... Um, we would sell sort of advantages in-game so you could buy, like, levels of XP or in-game currency. Mm. And it was basically like a modded Minecraft experience. And this was super common. There were tons of servers. Our faction server, which was the first one I made, wasn't really a unique concept. It was just another faction server. Um, And then after, like, a year and a half of doing that, I started to realize, okay, we can start doing custom game modes and we can start creating custom systems here and make our server more unique, get more people to come in. Um, And really the the four or five year timeline of running servers, there was acquisitions of other servers and mergers. And it became this, I started to realize like this is a real business. Like we're actually incorporating companies here and performing mergers. Like these companies are making serious money. And my parents thought I was wasting my time too. I remember (laughs) my dad, he'd be like, this is what is going on. What is this? This Minecraft? Like what? This is, this is ridiculous. And then money talks. So he would see it and realize that it's actually for real. And it's actually making money. So it's worth the time. And it was legitimate business. And that gave me an introduction to, I mean, general business and marketing and especially programming, where yeah. I got really good with Java, which is the programming language that uh, Minecraft is built on. So is this YouTube? Is this your friends showing you how to do this? Like, Oh, it's all like all self-taught YouTube. Yeah. Um, I took uh, AP Comp Sci in high school, my mm-hmm. senior year, which was Java, but that was a bit late. So I yeah. had to learn most of it through YouTube. I think I was pretty bad at it at the time, but I was able to get by and make things work and make like sort of hack together features and, and make it work just following YouTube tutorials and stuff. You I, have I look... to speak broken JavaScript before you can be fluent. Yeah. yeah you, have to be, you, gotta be, you gotta be bad at the start. You can't go into it being good. So I mean, most of it was like copy pasting and just being yeah. like bad, but I was kind of getting the hang of it. And yeah. I was okay, this isn't like impossible to do. Do you remember like 
so so I'm guessing that that ended at some point. Yeah, I ended up selling um, my server. I did like we had scaled it up, and I was like, okay, like it's it's time to move on. I'm like 16 years old, or I think I was like 16 and a half, 17. And I was like, okay, like I don't want to do this anymore. Like it's time yeah. to just sell the server. And was then, it a lot of maintenance? It was it was like a full time job. Like I would come home from school and manage things, and I mean manage inquiries. We were getting email like 10, 20 emails a day. Like customer service. <clears throat> customer service stuff. I mean we had. Wow. Tens of thousands of players coming on each week. It was a full thing. And we had a team of people working behind me at that point. I had three developers that I had subbed out that were working part-time for me. Um, a full team of moderators doing chat moderation on the server. It was it was involved. Um, but there's lots wow. of people playing. So <clears throat> with lots of people, you're going to have to have a lot of maintenance. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. So we sold it. Um, Is it I'll, inappropriate <clears throat> if I ask you how much you sold your server for? We did we did pretty well. It was it was well into the six figures. So, which is just wild to think for a Minecraft server. And you were sixteen. Yeah, almost seventeen, I think. It's just chill. It was casual. It wasn't casual. I, oh <laughs> no no no! It was not. Casual. It was, this was not a casual event. I was on top of the moon. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so rich. This is this is the best. Um, oh my god! Did you I, have to split that with your co-founders? No, there oh, weren't any others you? at that time. I mean, I had done other servers with yeah. other people, and there was conflict there where like. One guy actually um, stole something from me. He stole my ownership stake, and there was a lawsuit. Like it, it's, it Are was. You serious? But yeah, but I learned a lot in the process about like, okay, if you're starting a business with somebody with a partner, you need to make a contract. And I was like fourteen, fifteen when that happened, so I didn't know that. But now I know. So yeah, lesson learned. Um, That's crazy. But yeah, it, it's a lot of people find that surprising that there was so much going through Minecraft, like financially. But yeah. it's a big game, and there's still a lot of money going through it. Some of the top servers, like I knew pretty much all of the server owners because there was like Skype group chats and stuff where everybody would talk. And I remember this server, Mine Time, they pulled in two hundred and fifty thousand dollars on Christmas Day alone, just one server. I mean, they were much bigger than us, but Christmas Day was the big day because everybody would get like gift cards and stuff, oh, and they would spend it. I just saw that number. I was like, that is ridiculous for that one day. gives me so much more context to all of those, like, Minecraft story videos that you see yeah. on YouTube. Because I, ne I never understood it. They were like, this guy's server, this, that, this, yeah. the, the drama between people and stuff like that. Well, people, the server owners were hiring Minecraft YouTubers to do videos on their servers and then put the IP address in the chat and be like, come join. You can play with me. People would dish out like twenty, thirty thousand dollars to a YouTuber just to play on their server and post a video of it. Did that mess with you at all? What do you mean? Like, um, uh, when you were sixteen and you sold the server, and now you're in a totally different situation than like any of your friends. Um, did it like change me? Like, did did it affect you at all? I mean, of course. Um, what I mean, did it put you do? me now. Like, like, what did you do at the time? Like, you you sold the server. Then what? I don't particularly remember, but I just started pursuing projects that I thought were fun, um, particularly in web development and back-end okay. programming, which I just thought was more grown-up um, yeah. and more entertaining, and I could actually add value in other places in the economy, because I don't think that like a Minecraft server is that much of a value adder yeah. overall. Um, I think that creating useful tools for people and insights is a value adder, so I feel yeah. more fulfilled doing that, of course. Um, don't get me wrong, the Minecraft stuff was fun, but I had to move on. Yeah. And it was nice to get some seed funding, too, to move on to do whatever I wanted to do next. So so you're kind of like, I, I, I don't want to be connected to this kid 
a game anymore. That was, that was kind of it. Honestly, I mean, I was like, I don't want to, like, when people ask what I do, I don't want to be like, oh, I'm a Minecraft server. I don't want to be Mr. Like, Minecraft. Yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. So, um, I mean, I'm happy with the decision. Also, it was good timing, just merely by luck, because yeah. uh, Mojang, the company that owns Minecraft, actually cracked down after that and said, we're starting to enforce uh, restrictions on what you can charge for in game because they started to realize people were making so much money. And I think yeah. they, they realized they were like, okay, like we don't want this associated with our, our game. So they started yeah. making restrictions on that and that really killed profits. So I don't crazy. think the you new like owner was too happy. You got out by the skin of your teeth. It was really, it, it was 100% <laughs> honest, it was just luck. It was really luck um, that I got out just a few months before that announcement. That's so crazy. I think the valuation of the company would have been probably half had I waited a few more months. So you you sell it and now you like have all of this more time, right? Yeah, time. So you're so you were learning JavaScript from the the Minecraft thing. It was Java. And yeah. so uh, am I am I JavaScript Java? Java and JavaScript. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, Java is an object oriented language. JavaScript is sort of similar syntax to Java, but mm. it's a scripting language. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. They're slightly so different. You were learning that, and so. Um, so you have all of this time now, mm -hmm. and this was my junior senior year junior, of high school. Year. Okay, um, so you're applying for college. Yeah, I'm guessing college and all that stuff. And um, junior year is like your hardest year of school. So, like, what did you do with all of this time that you had now? I mean, school really wasn't that much of a time consumer, to be honest with you. Um, that checks out for your personality. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, it, it's, it's really just like it doesn't take that much time, at yeah. least for me to do and also well in college it's different because my major is just I think not super labor intensive versus yeah. some other ones but as far as high school goes it wasn't brutal to keep up and my grades weren't exceptional mm. I wasn't a 4.0 student really? especially the first two years I was actually had terrible grades I was just distracted I think I had the mentality which I think is flawed that oh like this is a waste of time to focus on school stuff when I can focus on something that's actually making money and is productive. Yeah. I regret it because I could have got better grades if I had just focused and put in a little bit more effort and then yeah. had a better GPA. Um, and then I guess I could have gotten into a better school maybe, but yeah. I mean, I'm happy with Drexel. There, like, there's, always, you, there's always a way of going back and thinking that you could have done something different. Yeah. I mean, hindsight is 2020. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but I got good grades the last two years when I, after I sold and I had more time, I was like, okay, what am I going to do? So I'm like, okay, like, let's be more social now, catch up there. Because I was not being social at all the first few years of high school. full-time job with school. Yeah. I would, get, I would get back from school and then literally work on the Minecraft server until like 10 p.m. and go to bed. That's crazy. Um, like every day and all day on the weekends. But I, I enjoyed it. Like it was fun. And that was like the community that I operated with. Like that's where my friends were, like they were working with me on it, so... I didn't mind it, but yeah. I was like, okay, it's time to do more real life stuff and be a human again. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, time to go to the gym, like yeah. do some other things. Like, um, so I, I focused on that and then continued to do programming stuff and explore the programming. Um, there's not a ton of really notable projects though for the end of high school, like mm. through the end of high school, I was really just exploring data analytics, web programming, especially, and trying to solidify that skill and making little projects along the way. But Nothing huge. Yeah. Um, and then things sort of changed as I moved up into college and there was another set of adventures and things that happened. And I also shifted a lot into investing at that mm. point because I was like, okay, 
we have some money, so it's time to make sure that this doesn't disappear on me. And, yeah. you know, I don't want to go on, like, a spending spree. Yeah. And, like, what am I going to buy? <laughs> I also, like, when I had this money, I was like, okay, I'm going to buy myself a new computer. And I got a nice computer. I was like, wow, I have everything. My life is all set. <laughs> I have a nice computer. That's all I need. Wow, I'm good to go. Um, so, yeah, I mean. I, that's interesting. So, uh, what, what schools were you looking at? Well, Drexel, obviously, um, I was really interested in machine learning at that point. Um, so I wanted to do a comp sci slash machine learning program. Um, and I really liked, um, Cornell Brown, um, Carnegie Mellon had a great machine learning program and accelerated Mm -hmm. master's program that I wanted to do. Um, and I applied to a bunch of schools and really tried on the SAT in my final year of school to get like perfect grades. And, it just wasn't enough to get into the Ivies, which is fine. Yeah. Because, um, you know. They're Ivies. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> Ivies. And I, I don't know. I don't think I would have had a much of a, a great shot at getting in anyways. So mm-hmm. I'm not, like, upset at it. But it's okay. Um, and then I ended up at Drexel. Um, and and so you're saying comp sci. And I know that you're in business and entrepreneurship. So yeah. how'd that happen? I came into Drexel in comp sci. Mm. And it was just initially very boring. Because really? it was introductory programming i was like i'm gonna stick with it um and then i got into like advanced programming one and two and it was still introductory program it's not advanced programming i was like i can't do this like mm. i need to learn something new that i don't know much about and not to say like there's plenty i could have learned from the cs degree like i'm sure they go through tons of stuff that i don't know yeah. but i didn't want to sit around and wait and i'd rather just learn about something that I don't know anything about it all like general business study specifically with a focus on real estate, which I had no clue about mm-hmm. um, and dive into that when I can teach myself about the CS stuff. And I've continued to progress my CS skills through college just by Googling. Cause I think all this information you can learn on your own. Yeah. I don't think you need a formal degree to be good at most CS stuff. Yeah. But business, you had a good experience learning from people. Yeah. Um, I think the classes have been more useful because you actually get to talk about real people in industry and do case studies, um, especially with regards to real estate, which is my minor real estate management and development, which I knew nothing about. And it's good to hear from people that actually know about real estate, how that works. Um, So yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not upset with that. I'm actually happy with that decision to switch out of CS. Um, Was that a hard decision? Yeah, it definitely was. And picking the next major was the challenging part. So, oh, it was first you wanted to get out and then you didn't know where to go. Yeah. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but mm-hmm. I had a friend that was already in the entrepreneurship program and she yeah. said it was exciting and fun. So I was like, okay, you know, what, I'll do that. Yeah. Um, and I've met a lot of interesting people. Um, I think in hindsight, I would have preferred to do like a data analytics thing just to have it on my resume mm. that I studied data analytics. Cause I think that's a strong point for me. Yeah. Um, I just like to have it on a resume, but that's okay. I mean, I can also teach myself about that. And I have, um, like I think you saw on my LinkedIn, I've worked at Brandywine as an analyst. Um, and we can dive into that. (laughs) Sure. So, uh, so you're the, in the three co-op, uh, five year program, correct? I switched. So I did one co-op and then I switched to a four year. So it's still going to take me four and a half years, Mm, but I switched because I, I didn't want to do two more co-ops. I just wanted to finish up sooner rather than later and go into a real position. Yeah. Because um, I don't think it's that challenging to find jobs with this degree because 
it's kind of open-ended. Yeah. I'm not locked into any specific career path. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's going to be that much of a challenge to find a job. Um, if that's the route that I have to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd rather just get the degree as soon as possible and then move on. So you said, you, did you do a, a co-op before you switched? Yes. Okay. And, and what co-op was that? It was with this company called Coral Homes. They're, okay. So they're a startup um, mm-hmm. or now they're a small company, but I got really close with the founding team there mm-hmm. and um, they're just, they're just great. They're just great people. They've become really good friends of mine. And I did the six months with them and built them out an app, which was the first app I ever made. Huh. Um, so we built them out like a concierge app because they're a boutique hotel company. Mm, okay. So their guests could use it to go in and manage their reservations and it would hook into smart devices around the apartment and they can manage temperature and all these things in, in one place and contact their booking specialists, order extra towels, whatever they needed in the app. Um, so that was really fun. We did that over the course of a couple months. Um, but I kept contact with them. And now I'm actually working for them on a project as of a couple weeks ago. Is that the one that you were talking about with me? Earlier? Yeah, I think so. It was the okay. booking channel yeah, application. Yeah. yeah. I think I talked to you about that. That's been That's the primary thing I'm working on now. Kind of crazy. <laughs> That, I don't know, it's just like the way that you were describing it, and, and I don't want to get into too many things if, if we're not allowed to oh, talk no, no, about Oh, no, 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 we oh, definitely okay. can. We can definitely talk oh, all about okay, that. okay, okay. Um, so, like, you, you, how did you even find out about them? Were they through? They were through Drexel. Through really? The they were program. through the listing? Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, I'm assuming that you interviewed at multiple places? That was a round and right. it was the only interview i went to for a really? round and they told me they were like hey so when do you want to start and i was like how meant to be is that <laughs> well, I, I showed up and i was like that was the first job interview i'd ever done and i showed up i was like okay i'm gonna do my best like i know i'm probably not gonna get it whatever and then they seemed to like me and then they like showed me around the office and all huh. the apartments are like so like when do you want to start i was like wait does that mean i have the job like no way <laughs> i don't have to like, wait until like, no the decisions come like, out i was like this is easy that, that was easier than i thought I called my parents. I was so excited, but and that was probably one of the better companies and that I've ever met. Like I had the the pleasure of actually working with because they've just been so accommodating and more than anything, become really good friends to me and just good people. Um, And for that reason, I'm happy to help them out with something like this, this, this project I'm working on for them. Yeah. So you said this was, that was the first app that you made with them. So how do you go from coming in as the, the intern co-op and then, building out the whole thing like how how do you get on that team like how'd that um, happen well it's a small it's a small company so yeah. they had under 10 employees so it wasn't yeah. hard to get in contact directly with the owner of the company and i sort of befriended him um and started working directly with him every day um and he, he's he's a really he's a forward thinker so when i came to him with the idea i was like hey like there seems to be a lot of inefficiencies. People are jumping around. They're confused. Like, who do I call for towels? Like, we have to set up this system. Like, why not just create an app where it's all in one place and make it easier? Huh. Um, and he was on board with it. He just said, like, yeah, that's what you're going to do now. You're going to focus on that now. So I started talking with the CEO and the CFO okay. to build that out uh, and the head of hospitality and sort of meeting all their demands, just meeting with them frequently to, like, check in and be like, is this, do you think this is going to add value to the company? Do you think this is going to be helpful? Yeah. And make sure that's something that's actually going to be useful to the company because I don't want to build something that's useless or out of scope. Yeah. Um, and as far as like making an app goes, it really wasn't hard because the way I did it, it's just developing a website for mobile. Mm. Like you can develop mobile apps using like React Native. Or, I've heard of that, yeah. Yeah, so like if you know React, which is like a web framework that everybody is really using now, 
or like Electron or anything like that, you can just basically make a website, make it for the phone screen size and package it and deploy it to the app store. And it's just HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Yeah. It's the same thing as building a website. Huh. It's literally, if you know how to do web programming, you know how to make an app. It's not hard. It's just a smaller screen size. Okay. So how did you even approach that? So you, you saw that there was a problem. You talked to them about, like, how, how many months into your co-op was it, like, did you suggest it? Um, I think that was like two months in. I think by, okay. by the time I was two months in, I had a good idea of how the company operated and like the day-to-day operations and the, the challenge points for them. Yeah. And that's really what I wanted to tackle was optimize the spots where people are wasting time oh, doing okay. silly things. Like they shouldn't like day-to-day operations shouldn't include explaining something over and over to people because it's not clear. Like just mm. make it more clear initially so that way you don't need to explain it ever again or dealing with like annoying phone calls and stuff and like trying to fit, like coordinate with people where different things are. Like they needed a central management system uh, to deal with all this stuff. And that's what it addressed. Yeah. So. Did, did you follow like a certain approach? Like did, uh, did you talk to uh, customers and stuff like that? Um, no. That was yeah. thunder. <laughs> Surprise. It doesn't look like anything's coming down. Maybe it's a bit gray, but um, <laughs> I think I think that the owners of the company had a really good idea of what their customers were like and what they needed just yeah. based on their interactions with them. So mm-hmm. I didn't speak directly to any customers about the app. We did beta test it with some people once it was developed. Mm. Okay. But initially it was just sketches and mock-ups and just thinking about the flow of the app and the functionality. And then once I had that done, that took the majority of the time just writing it wasn't that much of a challenge. It's pretty mm. simple. That's um, pretty neat. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really not hard. How did it feel to, like, actually have people using it? That was really cool. <laughs> that was really awesome. Because you can write things. lit up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really a good feeling when you see people actually using it. Yeah. And one time I went in to deal, because, like, after that I continued to do some day-to-day operations for them. And I would just sort of help out wherever I could. And somebody's TV wasn't working. And I went in and actually like helped because his TV was just unplugged from the wall. I guess housekeeping had unplugged. And I was like, are you serious, man? Like, seriously, you didn't just like check if it was plugged in? But he's like, oh, like silly me. And then he's holding his phone. He's like, I submitted the inquiry on the app. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's how it should I made be. That. I'm, like, I'm like, perfect. I didn't say that, but I was like, yeah, perfect. It's actually being used. Um, that's pretty so, cool. So, I mean, that's a really good feeling. Yeah. Um, it's nice to see things actually being used by customers. And unfortunately, they're not even using it anymore now because they've shifted their whole business model into mm-hmm. a totally new thing. And that's why they hired me again to do this next platform for them. Yeah. Even though I'm not officially working for them, I guess they're contracting me to make this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm subbing that out and I have a team under me now working. So it's helpful. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to talk about what you're doing with them right now? Or do you want to talk about your experiences uh, between then and now? Uh, we can just jump right into yeah. what I'm doing with them now and then go to the other stuff if you'd like. Because yeah. we're already on the topic. Um, so they are shifting. So they used to do like, they used to be like a hotel. Okay. They would do stuff like Airbnbs and they would mm. list their, their rooms on Airbnb. Um, and they were like curated, like tasteful rooms that had themes. It was fun. It was ah, fun. It was like a like, professional Airbnb. Yeah, it was, it was like a fun <laughs> Airbnb kind of thing. And they would accommodate long-term stays for TV shows and stuff like that would come into mm. town. So uh, do you know Queer Eye? Yes. So Queer Eye came to Philly um, and... 
they somehow got in t- contact with Coral. I don't know exactly how that happened, but mm-hmm. I was told one day, I was like, hey, Queer Eye's going to be staying with us. That's the whole cool. cast and crew, we're going to be housing them. And I was like, okay, great. Like, that's great. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it, it was actually one of the Queer Eye Fab Five people that had the problem with the team, <laughs> but, um, which was interesting to go in. I'm like, oh, this person's like a celebrity. And they don't have to plug in a TV, but okay. Um, but um yeah, so then suddenly he's looking at this and he's like, okay. And when I say he, I mean the CEO of the company. He's yeah. looking at it, he's saying, okay, so like this, we can do like short-term stays with people and they come in for a few days and it's going to have to clean it. It's kind of annoying. Or we can get like a full production crew to come in and then we have like 40 rooms mm. filled for two months. Yeah. That's way better. Yeah. Because then it's one booking. It's one thing. He's like, well, how do we start to dominate this space of production bookings? Um and really the key to that is travel coordinators because the mm. say you're like a a manager for some TV show like Queer Eye. Mm. You're going to hire a travel coordinator and be like, look, I need to house 40 people in this city and they need to be near these locations. Mm. And this guy has a dog and this guy can't be near this other person because they don't get along. Like they have this <laughs> long list of requirements. Yeah. And it's kind of a pain logistically to figure that out. Mm-hmm. So now he's shifting to only doing travel coordination and curation for productions Mm. so basically the platform i'm building will allow you to enter a set of requirements like i need one bedroom with these requirements one bedroom with these requirements a two bedroom all of your units and then the system will just find possible listings that fit it through Mm. our database through the partners that they've found um and then set it up for them do the bookings for them make sure it all works on the dates all automatically yeah and then send them one bill because that's really what they want is one bill at the end of the day to pay for all 40 units or however many units they want they don't want to deal with a bunch of different vendors yeah all this stuff it's just a pain so this platform will allow that to happen big group stays bulk buying yeah um because it's not i'm guessing that it's the the budget isn't the issue it's just the time it's the time to even figure it out it's annoying yeah. So this is going to be a big save for travel coordinators. And they've already proven that this idea has traction in the market. Yeah. Because um, they're doing it manually right now. So like, okay, we're doing this a lot. And it's taking a lot of our time. Hmm, let's optimize this and <laughs> have somebody automate this for us. So I'm like, okay, sure. Like, we can do cool. that. So like, how is that fun? Um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, I guess. I mean, it's, it's basic web development. Yeah. Um, and then like the back end stuff to figure out and find listings is a little bit entertaining, but it's yeah. not challenging. So I wouldn't say it's super fun, yeah. but it'll be cool to see the platform in use. I think, yeah. I think the process of building something for me personally, isn't that much fun. I know a lot of people do enjoy it, but I don't think it's a blast doing like <laughs> web development. It's a project. It's kind of dry in my opinion, <laughs> but once you see it actually in use, a platform working, it's like a well lubricated machine. I'm like, okay, like I thought of these edge cases and they're getting triggered and all these different things are happening. I'm like, damn, it's going, it's going smoothly. Yeah. And I made this and it's just a cool feeling. Um, oh, edge case. An edge case would be, like, for example, an edge case that I was dealing with today was what if somebody pays, so people will pay for the booking, and then we'll send out a request to all of the different units that they want to reserve saying, hey, reserve it for these dates, we're sending you payment. What if, for some reason, one of those requests fails, and they mm. book something with us, and then they pay us, and then it's actually not available? Mm. That's an example of an edge case, like something that won't happen frequently, but could come up and you need to account for. So you have yeah. to write code to like, be like, oh, wait, like, we tried to process this one, but it didn't work. Do you want to f- pick another unit? Yeah. That could also fulfill these requirements. And oh. there's a lot of edge cases all over the place. Yeah. Um, and they're hard to test, stuff like that. Um, 
but it's satisfying when you see the edge cases getting triggered because you're like, okay, I thought of that. That was a good save. Yeah. You know, I'm glad I did that extra step because if I didn't, this whole thing would have broke. How do you anticipate that kind of stuff? You just have to be thinking when you go into it, like what could go wrong? So the booking step is the most difficult one because there's a time delay. I mm. check the their calendars and say, hey, it's available. You're good to pay. And then they pay and then say something changes like somebody else booked at the same time through some other channel and now it's no longer available that's a possible mm-hmm. edge case that's something yeah. that could happen yeah so I, I just like to think about while i'm going through the process like what is the worst thing that could happen here mm-hmm. and then think that it's a possibility and account for it for yeah. everything which is honestly the most time consuming part is that, is that something you do i'm guessing that's something that's like a major team effort of like trying to figure out every possible issue yeah it is and you're you're just gonna miss some that's just kind of yeah. how it goes i mean you make mistakes and then you find out what they are when it breaks <laughs> and then you have to go in and fix it quickly try to avoid yeah. making mistakes of course but i mean i know that when this gets released there's going to be plenty of flaws that we're going to have to work through and that's just the nature of it you know you put in a best effort and then it's not good enough to be perfect and that's fine. It's a huge project. Of course, I'm not going to do it perfectly the first try. That is pretty cool. So like, I'm, I love user testing. I yeah. think that it's like the, the coolest, most terrifying thing. <laughs> it is terrifying. <laughs> so like, uh, did you, you, I know you said beta testing yeah. for the app. Like how, what are you thinking about this project? It's a challenge because travel coordinator is going to be the ones using it. And I don't know. I mean, I haven't spoken with any travel coordinators. He has, um, so I don't know if they're open to just testing being like, Hey, can you look at this and tell us what you think? Or if yeah. they're too busy or if that's like unprofessional. Um, so I don't know exactly how that's going to go. Um, <laughs> but in reality, I'm just being given a set of specifications for how he wants the app to work functionally. Yeah. He's given me, he's updated me with how the company operates day to day. And I'm like, okay, well like this could be a good way to fix it. Like we can make it uh, an application for this. I'll blah, blah, give him like a rough overview and then we go back and forth and sort of work through the kinks and figure out exactly what we want it to look like. It's kind of his responsibility just to like test it uh, and yeah. bring it to market. I mean, I'll be there all the way to fix whatever he wants, but I'm more so taking orders on this project, mm. which usually I'm more involved, but I'm merely a contractor here. So I'm not going to step outside of my bounds and dive too deep into the business. Yeah. Um, I want to understand what's going on so I can make something that is useful for them. But you know, as far as deployment goes, it's sort of out of scope of what I'm doing. Yeah. So, so we, we have Coral, um, and, uh, but between what you're now and when you started with them, uh, you had other jobs. So I worked one other job yeah. in between at Brandywine, which yeah. is, uh, this was, oof, uh, I think two years ago, I was like, I suddenly was like, oh, I want to get into real estate. Like, I want to start doing real estate stuff because in real estate investing in particular. So I was like, okay, let's do this. And I just started scouting on Zillow, figuring out like the basics of real estate finance on my own. It's really not that complicated mm-hmm. understanding rental properties and how that works. The math is incredibly simple. Mm. Um, and then my parents have a little bit of experience in real estate investing. They're more so property managers. That's what they do full time. So I was like, okay, I'm going to need to buy a piece of property and then manage it. My parents can help me with the management step. I can ask them any questions and they'll definitely be able to help. So I'm not too worried about that. But the investing side, I'll kind of need to figure out the math myself. So I just was like, okay, I'm going to start scouting Zillow and looking for good deals here and see when something comes up that the numbers work out. And I looked around for a couple months and then suddenly a deal came up for a house right on 33rd street. Oh, wow. Um, And I was like, okay, we got to do this like now, like this is the one I'm, I'm going to buy this one. And then. We bought the house. Um, 
and I, I partnered with it yeah. uh, on my parents. We split it 50, 50 because wow. I figured it'd be a good idea to have a partner on board just so that way my parents had a little bit of investment in actually <laughs> helping me. Cause kind of a little bit of their money was on the line too, but in reality they're in Boston. So I had to handle everything yeah. as far as managing and buying property, like everything I did yeah. sort of here on my own with some phone support from them, which, which was definitely helpful. Um, but, so you, did you have to do work on the house? Yeah, I, I learned wow. so much stuff that I had no clue about. Um, I ended up, I mean, initially it was just general things like cleaning, leasing, like listing yeah. things on Zillow, making sure and drafting up a lease with a lawyer, yeah. um, managing that, dealing with maintenance requests, which most of it was really simple and easy. Were you going out and fixing it? Yeah, some things. Yeah. I mean, some things I couldn't do. Um, like there was a drip coming from the ceiling and I looked up and there was the ceiling was dripping water. I was like... Okay, um, I don't know what to do here, so I'm just gonna call somebody that knows what they're doing, like a plumber. And then yeah. the plumber came out and fixed it, and then I passed the drywall because that's easy. Um, huh. so I I learned a lot, like how to patch drywall and like yeah. little things like that. And I ended up, let's see, like six months ago, I ripped out a kitchen in one of the units because it was three units, and just redid the kitchen myself, wow. which was a huge learning experience. Because have you are you handy or do you... no, not at all. <laughs> Like, I know nothing about this, so... I mean, I know I know how to use, like, a screw gun and stuff, but, like, I didn't know anything about it at all. Yeah. Turns out it's super simple, and YouTube's really helpful. YouTube, I was about YouTube, to say. YouTube, YouTube is my best friend when it comes to all this stuff. I mean, you just want to figure out, okay, like, how to install cabinets. YouTube, okay. Not yeah. hard. You screw them into the wall, and there's little tricks on how to level them and stuff, and you get that from YouTube. And then how to install countertops. Not hard. Like, getting appliances. Not That's hard. Crazy. Like, it's really not that complicated, but it's intimidating when you first look at it. And then once you actually do it, you're like, oh, that wasn't that bad. Um, so I learned a ton from that, just about general home maintenance, buying a house. Yeah. And we just, the real estate markets have just rocketed since coronavirus. So mm -hmm. I saw the price uh, was going up and I was like, okay, it's time to sell this because I'm going to graduate soon. Oh, yeah. Um, I was wondering how invested you were in like staying in Philly and stuff yeah. like that. I don't know. I don't know. That's, yet. that's something unusual for somebody who's temporarily staying in a city to invest in real estate. <laughs> well, it worked out really well to short it because I improved the property because it was in rough condition, brought yeah. it up to speed, jacked up the rents a lot according to the renovations because yeah. it was a lot nicer by the time of selling it. Wow. And it was just the, the rent was worth more. It was cash flowing more money. So the property was worth a lot more. And we were able to sell it for a lot more than we bought it for. And that's a big win. And then we get to pocket the extra rent we made along the way. And, and you split that with your parents? Yeah, we were yeah. in 50-50. Yeah. Um, but it's still it's so great. What is your relationship with them like? That, um, that Do you have siblings? I have a, one brother. He's okay. younger. He's a little bit younger. Okay. Um, I'd say it's a quiet relationship. Um, yeah. Very much business oriented, I'd say. <laughs> like, I mean, not completely. It's not cold. But, yeah. Um, I'm not super, super close with my parents, oh, okay. um, but not distant either. It's, yeah. some, it's kind of some healthy middle ground, yeah, um, but I'm not talking to them like every day, telling them everything. I'm uh, very independent. They they seem like uh, they raised a pretty independent guy. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> but they're definitely there for me. Like if yeah. I need them, they're definitely very supportive. Yeah, that's um, what I mean. Like, yeah. like uh, supportive and, and letting you like have a, a healthy leash to go in yeah. and pursue your own Well, adventures. and they have, they have a lot of trust, I think, in me. That's um, really good. Yeah. They have a lot of trust that I'll do the right thing because it's kind of a lot for them to throw up like, oh, we're both going to put in $200,000 on a rental property. Like, it's kind of a lot of money to throw out there. Yeah, they have just to on really a trust you. And they didn't really ask much. They were just like, yeah, we're in. Like, we'll do it. Like, cool. Wow. 
Wow. And I was just like, okay, perfect. Like, that wasn't was hard. Was that kind of like a surreal conversation? Kind of. I think they were just really excited to see that I was diving into something new. Yeah. And they knew that they'd be able to support me through the management process. So it wouldn't. Yeah. And of course, like, I'm going to take care of it. I'm not going to, like, break down and just be like, I can't do this because that's yeah. not an option. Like, There's no SOS button. <laughs> yeah, there's, you can't bail on this. Like, once you're in, you're in it. You need to manage the property. Yeah. Um, and it turned out to really not be that hard, but I learned yeah. a lot. And I feel like I could manage five of them at the same time now, which is wow. a, which is a good thing. So now I have this skill in the bag and I feel like if I move somewhere or get more money or the markets change, or I feel like I want to, I can buy a couple houses and then manage them myself. Um, That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are, are, since you, you said you're a YouTube guy, like, like you, like YouTube. I love YouTube. Are you a Graham Stephan fan? Yeah, he's, he's cool. <laughs> He's cool. I mean, um, I like Meet Kevin. Oh, yeah, Meet yeah. Kevin's oh, great. Oh, that checks out. Yeah, Meet Kevin's cool. Um, he's much more into the real estate stuff. I mean, that is, I mean, so is Graham Stephan, but... I should have brought Kevin up. Yeah. Before Graham. Yeah, yeah, Meet Kevin. You. I like Meet Kevin. He's definitely got more energy than Graham. I feel like Graham is pushing more videos, trying to go viral and do more, like, general personal finance tips. Um, which is great. Like they both have their own avenues, but Kevin's focused more on making a lot of money in real estate, which I think is fun. Well, Kevin also is like insane. Like not, not like in a bad way, just like, uh, nobody knows like how much he sleeps. Like he's oh, always posting yeah. videos all the time. Yeah, like, he has crackhead energy. He's, nobody he, knows if he's like a triplet. Yeah. He's, he's <laughs> trying to run for governor of California yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's crazy. Guy is nuts, but Hey, we love it. We love to see it. It's funny. So like, the, the question, like, that I wanted to ask you the most, you coming here, is, like, what's your deal? What's my deal? <laughs> because it's, like, I don't know how else to phrase the question, but, like, like, do you, are you aware how not normal your situation is? Of, like, yeah. like, like you being okay and, like, going and being, like, I'm gonna go do this thing. I don't really know much about it, but I'm gonna, like, figure it out, and then you actually do? I think a lot of people are that way. <laughs> I mean, everybody's, situa- everybody's situation isn't normal. Um, I've never met anybody like you. I guess. I mean, there's some, there's some, I definitely realize that like nobody else in our class is doing, probably in the Drexel class of yeah. our year is doing real estate investing or yeah. at least very few. I, I understand that, but you would be surprised how really? like a lot of people are doing a lot of really cool things and they just don't talk about it. Like, mm. cause it's not something like I, if I meet somebody, I'm not going to be like, Oh, well, like. I owned a piece of real estate <laughs> and I owned a Minecraft. Like, I'm not going to talk about these things initially because it's just strange. And a lot of people have like a lot of crazy, unique stories. Yeah. So I try to not like <laughs> gas myself and say that, but I'm aware that it's, yeah. it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. No, it's definitely, it's definitely kind of interesting. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll see where it goes next. So, so we're reading the story. So you're, uh, you were doing Brandywine. Um, you had the, the, uh, the multi-unit, multi-unit yeah. sale. Um, and then is this the time where we come back into the present of Coral? So the timeline has been kind of weird in the conversation. <laughs> so did the, the internship at Coral, then yeah. bought the rental property, okay. managed that. And then while I'm managing that, I go to work at Brandywine. So okay. I was like, okay. I'm in real estate now, so I should learn more about real estate. So I go into Brandywine, which is a publicly traded real estate investment trust, and they do more commercial real estate. Okay. So like I might as well be rounded. I got residential, getting some experience there. Let's figure out some commercial stuff too. Um, and what I'm really interested in is the analytics behind 
buying real estate and the decision making of when to sell and just like the numbers behind it because that's what I like. I want to sit in front of the computer and look at numbers all day and <laughs> I don't really want to be out there doing kitchens. Like I don't yeah. want to be a general contractor. That's not what I want to do. Yeah. Um, it is interesting to know and I'm glad I did it, but um, I really am more interested in the numbers. I think there's more space to scale there um, mentally, honestly. Like there's only so much yeah. you can do as far as like general property management goes. Like, um, so I, I went and worked for them and did analytics and assisted <laughs> a lot on, are you familiar with the Schuylkill Yards project? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we, we did a lot of work with that. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of a weird time for the company because this is a massive, like $8 billion company and they didn't have a research department. So my boss there, she was the first person in the research department, the director of research. And she comes in, starts the research department and is looking for an intern. And then I come in and do it. Yeah. And it's just me and her in this department at this company. It's a two-person department, which is really abnormal for a company that size, especially research department. It seemed kind of important. Yeah. Um, and she she really guided the whole thing. And I was pretty much her assistant, but it was really interesting to watch her go. She was honestly one of the smartest people I've ever met. She was unbelievable. Really? Um, yeah. So deeply intelligent um, and just witty and sharp and just, <laughs> just quick. Um, and I would talk to her. We'd have a standing meeting every day and I would go and be like, okay it's time for the meeting with her. Like I'm going in, like so I've got to drink coffee before I got to get like fired up and I go in and just be fast and be like five minutes. Her just banging out her notes for the day. I'm like, okay, and you're okay, just trying okay. to catch everything. I'm trying to catch everything and understand it. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, huh. and she was just really sharp and she was really trying to change the organization from within yeah. and revolutionize the processes that they had for like the past 30 years, which were really inefficient. Yeah. Um, and in a way, like, she was an optimizer, which I think I really respect because that's kind of what I did at Coral too, is mm. optimize processes. You look at inefficient processes and optimize them. I don't know if there's a job specifically that does that, but if there was <laughs> an optimizer job, I would love to do it. That would be so much fun. Just like observing processes and how to make them more efficient. Yeah. Um, and her, our skill sets really complement each other well, I think. Um, and we ended up making some good change at that company, which felt really good to see like such a big company like relatively large changes happening to people's day-to-day like work um like we implemented a uh customer management system hubspot there which which Mm -hmm. is wild to me that they weren't using one before like they didn't have any way to manage their customers like this is a multi-billion dollar publicly traded company and they're passing around customer lists in poorly formatted excel spreadsheets like i'm like what is going on here that because, does happen, though. Yeah, yeah well, they don't like, know any better. They yeah, don't know yeah. that there's something better until somebody comes along and says, hey, we're migrating this. I know it's a pain right now, but it'll be worth it in the long run, and we're yeah. doing it too bad. So <laughs> people did not like that. But in the end, yeah. they're definitely probably feeling a lot better now. If they want to send out like an email to a specific group of people, they don't need to like go through Excel spreadsheets. It's going to HubSpot and do it. Yeah. Um, so that was really interesting. I learned a lot about just how a big corporation works there, which I had no experience with. And it's just, it's interesting because it's like a well-lubricated machine in motion. Yeah. Um, but I definitely prefer smaller companies now because you get to make more change yeah. in it within a smaller company because it's just more malleable, I guess. Yeah. And, and it's a, a smaller team. It's, it's not as developed yet. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's less um, guardrails and uh, bump stops. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> There's just, there's just more that you can do and there's more that needs to be done, Yeah, you know, so. So you were, you were there and, and does that bring us to the present now? Yeah. Then I ended that job, went back to school now, and then I continued working on some other stuff and now I'm What's selling the property. Stuff? Whoa, we can talk about that. <laughs> um, 
and now and then I was selling the property as of like a month ago, the wow. rental property, um, which is great. We're closing on the 27th of this month, so that's very exciting. Are you going to do anything? I'm probably going to celebrate. Yeah. I'll probably go out. Just like, oh. Yeah. I was thinking, like, can I get a pizza? <laughs> no, we'll, pro- we'll probably go out and do something fun to celebrate, um, which will that's be, fun. which will be great. Um, I mean, I feel like it's like the end of an era. It should be celebrated to some degree. Yeah. Because um, you're graduating soon, right? In spring, so oh, I got okay. a bit left. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll end that, and then I'll move, and I'll move, like, down the street to a new apartment, but <laughs> not, like, not, like, completely. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we'll celebrate that, and then I started working on the coral stuff after that. Yeah. So, it's all kind of, there's been a lot of overlap in things. And, um, and this whole time, uh, you also had this other project that you're working on with a whole different set of people with yeah, Datawagon. Yeah, so Datawagon's its own little thing on the side yeah so my position there has been more so as an advisor i'd say yeah than anything um so i mean data wagon is a cloud computing company mm-hmm. offer dedicated servers virtual servers anything hosting related mm-hmm. um and my friend cj has been the person really pushing the business i mean he's a ceo mm-hmm. and it's just been crazy to see it scale over time uh since we were kids because he started that when i met him in the minecraft days um, oh, it comes full circle. Oh, yeah. So I met him in the Minecraft days, and I actually got hosting from him for my Minecraft server, and then I started talking wow. to him because he would hook me up with deals on servers. Um, and at this point in the servers, like, or in the Minecraft servers, like, we were pretty advanced. So we were managing our own hardware. We had IT people, and we were doing all that on our own. So we were, like, actually buying raw hardware and, like, shopping for the latest, like, CPU specifications and looking at all this stuff and figuring out everything that we needed so we would go straight to hardware providers mm. and he's a hardware provider like a raw hardware provider so i came close to him i was like oh this guy's young too like okay cool <laughs> um and we ended up like meeting up in person because he lived in new york and oh, okay. um, and you grew up in, in massachusetts yeah so it's not too far it's no like... no it's not that far and we have a lot of mutual friends in yeah. that community too and then data wagon he's just continued to push on that and then i sort of came in as an advisor and just have been helping with a couple things um but now it's it's really an established company with many millions of dollars in assets like it's, it's a large business um wow. so oh not long i hate to say large but like for me many millions large of dollars medium. in assets like yeah if, if you have like a 20 million dollar valuation on your company to me that's large yeah like yeah. i would call that a large company from my perspective so it's not a monolith yeah it's, oh, it's still pretty cool yeah and still rocking with like four employees too yeah. so you don't need wow. many employees i don't think but that's been a great income stream i mean the company does really well um and it's sort of been interesting because we shifted the model a lot more towards DDoS protection or D- DDoS protection. And you're going to have to explain what that is. So um, frequently people will, the, the big menace to mm-hmm. managing your own hardware is DDoS attacks, which is essentially where you have a port on your server, like an internet port, like imagine an ethernet cable that connects to the internet, right? And it yeah. gives you usually buy servers with one gig, uh, one gigabit connection. And it's one gig flat. So, I mean, you can get like one gig fiber now at your house. Mm -hmm. Um, But you get a port speed, that's the amount of traffic you can handle. So say somebody doesn't like you and they want to take your server offline, they can just spam you with a ton of data and saturate that line and take you down. So if your port has one gig or five gigs coming in, it's a one gig port, you're offline. You can't access the server. So it's like choking you. Yeah, literally choking. Oh, It's literally choking the server. And... These attacks were popularized over time, um, over the past probably six or seven years. Mm-hmm. And then um, we had a friend uh, who really got into developing 
protection hardware and we call them mitigation appliances. So it's a physical device that will sit in between the internet and your server and it will filter traffic that comes in. And the mitigation devices can handle say a hundred gig of traffic, a hundred gigabit, which is a massive amount of traffic. So they can filter up to a hundred gigabit at once. Um, so that's been a big selling point for that audience. We have mitigation in place, so you cannot be DDoSed yeah. reasonably within limits. Yeah. Um, and a lot of companies will advertise, oh, we can like absorb any attack size and then they get destroyed by like 120 gig attack. We're transparent about it. I think we do 80 gig of mitigation right now, which yeah. is, that's a healthy mitigation amount. But if you're getting hit with over 80 gigs, yeah. somebody serious is attacking you and we're not going to pay to mitigate that for you. Like you need to find like some high security hosting or something. That's yeah. not our problem. So I'm like... I don't know. I feel like at that point, that's like, uh, like Homeland security figuring that out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Like Homeland security also, I mean, they're pushing probably thousands of gigs of protection on their infrastructure. Yeah. Um, just cause it's mission critical and they can absorb massive attacks. Yeah. Like all the government stuff, they have incredible amounts of protection against that. And also like most of their infrastructure is on Amazon. So they're, huh. you know, Amazon web services. Yeah. AWS. Yeah. AWS. Yeah. So like, AWS GovCloud, they do subcontracts, specifically government servers, and they have isolated data centers that are just for government stuff. And I mean, Amazon AWS, they know how to manage infrastructure. <laughs> They're probably the best in the world at yeah. it. So it makes sense that the government would hire them to do it with their little Gov, GovCloud product. Yeah. Um, or big Gov, GovCloud product is pretty big. <laughs> it's pretty big now. I mean, they probably have like a billion dollar a year contract with oh Amazon. So um, yeah, but now we offer some level of security that's cheap and accessible to yeah. consumers who have like regular day-to-day projects. You don't need to pay ridiculous fees to get security. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been really attractive to people. And our, just honestly, our prices are really good. Like yeah. it's really cheap and people don't need like the bleeding edge stuff. So we'll kind of sell the mid tier stuff for really cheap and that's fine. Like that's all you really need. So, so when you say that, like how, I, I don't know if you can like talk about it at all, but like, how do you even, make a filter um so it's really complicated yeah (laughs) but generally like information travels across the internet in packets okay so like um each packet needs to be inspected along the wire we call it like the cable the wire so Mm -hmm. the mitigation device will take in packets one by one and then evaluate them and if they match a set of rules it will drop them it will just not pass them forward to the next device but if it's a valid packet it'll pass it on Ideally, this mm-hmm. is the best case scenario. In reality, things get messed up. It can detect attacks that aren't attacks and start oh. filtering stuff that isn't an attack or let an attack through. So over time, because whenever you say you have DDoS mitigation, hackers love to test you. They're like, oh, really? Because this is a challenge for me. I'm going to try to get them. So we've had <laughs> the pe- rules of the internet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've even paid people to attack it, like really? just to test the filtering device um, and you know battle test the filtering devices in a controlled setting and over time we fine tuned a set of rules that can filter out attacks pretty reliably like common attacks. Cause most of these people, I mean, most people sending DDoS attacks under 80 gig are probably not the brightest. It's really not that much of a challenge. Like honestly. Um, <laughs> so these and, are just like trolls or yeah, you can, you can buy access to like a, they call them booters pretty cheap. Like you can get for like 20 bucks a month and push like 20 gig. Yeah. But the problem is some people are serious about this and they have, they're using like things called botnets, which are like massive computer viruses across thousands of devices to push attacks in the 800 gig territory. Yeah. And you know, we're not going to mess with that. Like if you, if we get hit with an 800 gig attack, we're going to get fried. So yeah. we just drop that customer. We just say, sorry, 
Yeah. Too bad. Like, go somewhere it's else. Go to go to risk. Amazon. Go to Amazon. Like, <laughs> they'll deal with it for you. Um, but they're gonna have to pay more. Like, yeah. Like, um, and that's fine. Like, it, it's a good balance of security. Yeah. Um, but the, the filter device is literally a filter. It just sits in the middle and filters out information that doesn't need to be delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's really. And at that level, not that complicated, but in practice, it's quite difficult. Yeah. Um, and I mean, implementing filter rules that can handle like hundreds of millions of packets per second is logistically challenging. Like, and you can't, you, like, and no, we're seriously talking about like packet, they call them PPS or packets per second, like in the hundred million territory. So you can't write a filter rule like that in say JavaScript or Java. It's just going to choke. It's going to die. Yeah. So it's pretty much... Um, implementing software at the machine code level and assembly. Mm-hmm. And that's really challenging too. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's really a pain um, to make, but at this point it works. So what kind of people get attacked? Um, like, I don't really know. Like, yeah. it, I mean, anybody can get attacked. The Minecraft servers were always a big target. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, Minecraft was really a breeding ground for DDoS attacks because people would attack servers that they didn't own because it was competitive and there was a lot of money on the line. Like if you take down a competitor's Minecraft server on Christmas Day, you might get like, yeah, those people might leave and they're going to come to your (laughs) server possibly and be like, oh, well, I want to play Minecraft today because it's Christmas Day and I want to spend money. I'm going to spend money here. Wow. It was like a war zone out there. You should have seen (laughs) it. Yeah. An internet war zone for the Minecraft server is kind of crazy. But yeah, I mean... That really didn't make things better. And there's plenty of articles. If you just Google Minecraft DDoS, you'll see plenty of stuff about this. Um, that is pretty cool. Yeah. Are Are you a Lex Friedman fan? I don't know who that is. So uh, Lex Friedman is this guy who's like super into machine learning and, mm. and like, I don't know, just like a bunch of really, really cool tech stuff. And mm-hmm. he actually went to Drexel. Oh, really? Yeah. He, I think he went to Drexel for his bachelor's, master's, and PhD. Do you know when he graduated? I think he graduated, I think he's in like his mid-30s now. Okay. So maybe like so 10 a bit years, back. Yeah, 10 years ago or something like that. Hmm. But um, but yeah, I don't know. I think that you would you would get a kick out of him. He has a podcast Yeah, I was going to ask. He has, a, he has a podcast called the Lex Friedman Podcast. There, there you go. There you go. How <laughs> fitting. I, I think that you, you'd really like him. Uh, but yeah, that's an aside. Uh, but I, I'm really curious about like data privacy just on my own because... um. Uh, I had a conversation with a friend of mine. I, I, I this is like the third time I've said it, yeah. like, but I, it's to you. You've never heard it before. Um, uh, my my friend uh, in Germany. Um, I was talking to him about like data and all this kind of stuff, and he was talking about um, GDPR. Yeah. Um, and I, we talked a bit about it. Before, I think a bit. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was kind of crazy uh, how. Uh, that exists. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not in the United States, too. Yeah, um, so, like, wh- what do you think about all of that and, like, how much data is just, like, open for grabs? Like, is yeah. that accurate? I mean, there's so much information available, and I'm not an expert on, like, GDPR law. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely not super familiar with it. I mean, I have the gist of it, though. Yeah, um, and for anybody that's listening, that's, like, the um, the EU data privacy laws mm-hmm. that are different than the U.S., which is, like, practically yeah. non-existent. I, I mean, I think you'd be surprised <laughs> how much information is being collected. Like, imagine you're scrolling through Instagram and you think about what data points they have to collect. So you've opened Instagram and you like a picture. Obviously, they collect that. That's a like on this yeah. picture. They gather some info there. Now you scroll to an ad 
and you stop for a second, they're recording how long you, you're, you're paused there and yeah. looking at that ad. And even if you don't like it or anything, they're like, okay, this person stopped for four seconds on this ad. Yeah. They must be interested in this kind of thing. They throw that into their algorithm. Like they're collecting literally everything you do yeah. on these apps and farming it and storing it and just feeding it into their systems to improve their algorithms. And even like going into your, uh, your contacts and going oh, yeah. into your messages and your call log and, and the other devices that are connected to your Wi-Fi. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure they can pull your messages, but I know that if you give it permission, it can pull your contact list, yeah. which is a huge piece of information that people always just tap yes to. Like, do you want access to your contacts? Yes, easy. Like and to make instant- friends with their well, friends? Well, instantly they have a social graph on you when you do uh. that because they have the names and phone numbers of everybody in your contacts and suddenly they're like, okay, this person is connected to all these other people and they can build this massive social graph. I mean, the ethics behind it are questionable. Yeah. I would say if you care about your privacy you shouldn't use instagram and facebook and stuff because they're farming all this information and you don't have a choice yeah um but that's logistically challenging so most people just turn around and say oh i don't really care about my privacy so i'm just going to use it anyways because everybody's using it like who really cares which really rubs me the wrong way because (laughs) i i think i really care about privacy a lot um why um, I just don't like the idea that somebody else can watch what I do. I think I have a right to privacy. Mm-hmm. Like when I search something on Google, I think I should have a right to have that be private. Um, yeah. I don't want that logged and I'm not doing anything. And people will always turn around and be like, oh, well, what are you doing that you want to hide? Like you must have a reason to want to hide something. Not really. Yeah. I just like privacy. I just don't like that. Like I don't want them tracking my every move. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this measures that you can take to protect your privacy too. I mean, Obviously, you can do things like use a VPN because uh, like providers like Comcast, Verizon are likely logging most of your traffic. Uh, yeah. Who knows for how long or what retention policies they have, but they're likely logging this stuff. Um, so you can do stuff like VPNs, DuckDuckGo instead of Google. Uh, uh, like, yeah, I use DuckDuckGo. We, yeah, we love that. <laughs> um, they're, they're a wonderful company. And um, then like anti-tracker tools, no history. Um, like ad blockers and stuff are helpful. Tracker blockers, privacy badger on Chrome is great. Huh. Um, there's a lot of tools you can use to prevent that. But at the end of the day, it's a logging world and there's, you're kind of limited. Like I use Instagram and, and Facebook and yeah. TikTok and whatever. And they're farming a ton of info. Man, I'm like, oh, okay. TikTok's the worst one. Yeah, they farm so much information. Oh but it's interesting with TikTok because it's kind of beneficial to me that they're farming information because the algorithm is so exceptional mm. like they really know a lot about me it's kind of freaky um <laughs> but i'm not as concerned with those larger companies because i really don't care that much if tiktok knows that i like cats like <laughs> i don't really care it's, it's not really like i could care less in fact i want <laughs> so i i want them to know because i want to see videos of cats like come on that's great like so but like the other thing is other like smaller companies that don't know about privacy as much farming info mm-hmm. get, that get hacked. Yeah. So like, you know, Chegg? Yeah. Chegg. So Chegg got hacked quietly uh, three times in a row and they really didn't say much about it. They were pretty quiet about it. I mean, I'm sure as a Chegg user, you didn't know, yeah, no. but they got hacked several times in a row and their entire database was leaked every time. They have a horrible data security team they don't know how to manage databases properly hence why they got repetitively hacked and leaked tens of millions of email password combos and a lot of people use their university email yeah and that's an issue yeah so (laughs) i I looked into the check database and just i mean because it's publicly available and it's not illegal to download so just just as a party trick i mean you can go into it and i just 
wrapped for Drexel emails and there's like 3000 Drexel emails on there with all their passwords. And I was like, Hmm, I wonder if I tried to log into Drexel email with these, how many of these would be valid passwords? I didn't, but like, and also I think Drexel has two factor off now. Thank yeah. goodness. But before that, I probably could have logged into a bunch of email accounts if Sign I wanted to. Sign them up for like yoga class. I could have. <laughs> I, I guess like, and anybody could have. Like yeah. it's public information. So that is crazy. It, it's crazy. And it's like Chegg did this quietly with no repercussions. Yeah. And it happened multiple times. So it's just not good. And also they were using improper password hashing techniques. So the people were easily able to brute force the passwords because people, when, when you like log into a website, they store a hashed copy of your password. You know what that I don't know what hashed means. So like when you log into a website, they'll shuffle your password essentially hmm. into something else. So you they run it through what's called a hash function. There's a bunch of different hash functions with varying levels of security. And there's industry standard ones that are objectively secure. And there's ones like MD5 that are objectively terrible. Yeah. So they were using MD5 hashing, which is just way out of date. It's terrible. Nobody should use it now. Um, and they were using that, which allowed the hackers when they logged in and or when they took the full database to just be like, oh, here's the hash of the password. We're going to convert that into the real password easily. And they did it for every single one of the users. No problem. Whereas if they were using a more secure hashing algorithm, they wouldn't have been able to get probably one of them. Yeah. So it's just it's just bad practice. And Chegg is a large company and they're not alone in this too. There's yeah. many companies that just have horrible security practices. It, it's incredible to me that these people have so much money and they hire security experts to work for them and their security is abysmal. It's yeah. horrific. It's just unbelievable to me. What and I don't- What would you want them to do to even start to fix it? First, they should fire everybody that works on their security team and hire somebody competent. I'm not even lying. Like, because yeah. these people, like, what are they doing all day? They're, they're full-time employees. And for Chegg, their database was fully exposed. They were using MongoDB. It was publicly exposed with no password, I think, the first time. And then there was, like, a series of other incidents. Um, so, like, if you're working managing a database for a company of this size and you do that, you shouldn't be allowed to work there anymore. Yeah. Like you shouldn't be allowed to work in that industry anymore, period. Yeah. But I'm sure they walked away with no repercussions. Like, oh, breaches happen. No problem. Like, no, like it was avoidable. Yeah. Like look at these other companies that do it right. They can yeah. do it right for not that much money. So why can't these, these large companies too? Um, what do you think that Amazon's doing right? Do you, they hire do you, good engineers. Yeah. And, the people that work at Amazon in security are very smart and yeah. very good at their jobs. And there's probably management there that's very conscious of security problems. Um, and also, I mean, the scale of Amazon versus Chegg is we're talking thousands of times the size at Amazon. So you'd expect them to be a little bit more up to speed, but yeah. they're, they're just competent. They just do it <laughs> right. Like they just follow the standards properly, yeah. which good for them. They should, I think everybody should. But you have people working in IT that don't understand basic security principles. Yeah. And it's, it's, I, I just don't get it. I'm a little yeah. bit confused myself as to how this keeps happening. And it's, it's still a recurring problem with a lot of companies getting hacked. New password lists come out all the time. And it's, that's just the tip of the iceberg. People, people are dumping social security numbers, stuff like that. American Express got hacked. Like, this is a financial institution. This shouldn't be allowed. Yeah. Um, and it's happening all the time. Yeah. I mean, if you go on... Uh, so do you think this is just like like a, a mix between ignorance and laziness? It's hard for me to say definitively. Yeah. I don't think I can say definitively. Yeah. Um, I just look at it and I'm just like, okay, well, here's the problem that yeah. caused this. And it would have been relatively easy to fix. And you have people sitting there that have been working there for years full time. And their job is to manage the security, the infrastructure. So I don't know why they missed it. 
Yeah. And I'm just sitting there thinking, like, how did you miss this? Yeah. Because I, I just don't get it. Like, I feel like it'd be an obvious thing to check if you were a security manager. Yeah. But they they must not have, or they, maybe they knew about it and they didn't think it was a problem. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's hard. Like, it's, Emily, I'm trying to answer your question. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. It's hard to say, but it's that whatever the reason is, it's not good. Huh. Um, it's, it's a problem. So, and I, as far as like data privacy goes, you can't really make it so that way people can't ask for passwords. You kind of need a password to sign into sites, yeah. but there should be, I think there should be auditing, more auditing of every company and their data security practices. And there is for like medical data, mm-hmm. the standards, which is great, but even in financial industries, there should be auditing there too required. And there isn't, yeah. um, I mean, for some things, but like a lot of aspects of the financial system aren't audited. Um, and I just don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which one did I, I have two questions. You know, first question is like, so, so when we go back into like atta- attacks and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, uh, do you ever think about um, this on like a country scale? Like from, from nation state yeah. actors? Um, I not mean, necessarily what do you that mean? this is like, what da- not, not talking about data wagon or anything like that, but like, um, when, when it comes to like cybersecurity ta- attacks and like, um, or even the, um, the, the gigabyte choking. DDoSing, yeah. 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 <laughs> like, are you ever, do you ever think about that? Like one nation attacking another? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's happening. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of hard to tell who's yeah. behind these attacks when they happen. I mean, I highly doubt Russia is attacking Chegg. Like, that's very unlikely. <laughs> I would be baffled if that was the case, but uh, <laughs> I'd imagine, like, in nation-state level attacks, there are things that me and you wouldn't hear about. Yeah. Because it'd be, say, like, some country X attacking country-wise, like, internal infrastructure, and that's really not going to be public news. Country-wise isn't going to be, like, proud to announce, oh, by the way, we suspect country X has hacked us. Like, mm. it's not going to be big news. So th- there is definitely some sort of ongoing cyber war happening behind the scenes that we don't even realize. Yeah. Um, and I think Vice made a whole series about this called Cyber War. Yeah. Um, and... It's definitely going on. Um, it's just out of scope for us if we don't hear about that kind of stuff because it's really not something that somebody's proud to announce. When it comes to like passwords and stuff like that, um, I, I remember hearing something a while ago. Like, you know, like when you make a password and it's like you need this number of mm-hmm. numbers, this number of, of uh, symbols and stuff like that. I remember hearing from somebody that they're like, it's kind of pointless or something like that. Yeah, I i'd say like they're trying to like protect you from brute force attacks so by making like a super long secure password you're protecting yourself from brute force attacks Mm. where somebody just tries a password over and over again trying to get your account which isn't really a major concern like i'm not concerned that my google account password is going to get brute force because google's going to stop allowing people to try passwords if you do 10 tries they're going to cut you off and you can switch ip addresses and then maybe you can cycle through ip addresses and different browsers or whatever technique you're using but at a certain point google system is going to be like we're no longer allowing any requests to log into this account without reaching out to us because it's gotten ten thousand login attempts in the past hour yeah (laughs) and in the scope of brute forcing that's suspicious yeah that's weird we're cutting this account off so in the scope of brute forcing, you need a lot more than 10,000 attempts to wow. guess a password. You're going to need millions and millions of attempts. I'm not concerned about brute forcing internet passwords. It's more so using, I'd say better advice is to use different passwords on different sites. Yeah. So if you're signed up on Chegg 
and you use the same password on everything, even if it's a super secure password, who yeah. cares? If it gets hacked on check, then they have your login to everything else. It's having a complex key to everything. You use a unique password on every site. And the best way to do that is just with a password manager. Yeah. Um, so that's what most people are going like LastPass or 1Password or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I just don't use the same password ever. I don't have a password that I really remember. I just use random passwords for everything. Not out of fear of it being brute forced. I mean, it's helpful in the password manager just to use a secure password because why not? Because I don't need to remember it. But yeah. um, I would be totally comfortable with like a six character password that's all lowercase, just letters, which isn't very secure and could be brooded. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I would much rather that than reusing the same password everywhere, even yeah. if it's complex. Because yeah. sites get hacked and you're signed up probably on hundreds, if not maybe a thousand websites under your email address. Like, so one of them's going to get screwed. And if you use the same password everywhere, somebody could come after you. Yeah. And that's no fun. So moral story, uh, uh, use one unique email, Absol and unique password. For Absolutely. Chang. Password, <laughs> password one, two, three is pretty good. That's, that's a safe bet. Capital P though. So that way it's safe. Yeah. Capital Only P. for check. Maybe even throw in, maybe even get spicy, throw in an exclamation mark at the end. That would really make it secure. Cause you added a symbol. That's huge. <laughs> so, uh, so there's a bunch of things that you do, and and we we talked about like like middle school, high school, college, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, when when you look at like all of it, what is the most fulfilling for you? Yeah, I figured that was coming. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Why do you anticipate that? I I heard you say what is the most, and I was like, I know fulfilling <laughs> is going to be the next thing. Um. Um. Or, or, or if you feel like that's yeah. too much. No, so. no, no, that's fine. Um, it's really hard to say because I get fulfillment at different phases in the work. Like, for example, in web development work, I see fulfillment and seeing people use something and having it actually be useful. I like that. The mm -hmm. actual programming process isn't that much fun. Mm -hmm. um, I would say making tools and, like, changing the way people work in general is just very fulfilling to me. So, like, evaluating the outcome and it actually working. Yeah, like, just improving systems and by creating tools most of the time. So, that I was very fulfilled at Brandywine to see a new system implemented and then see people spending less time on stupid things and wasting their time sort of sifting through spreadsheets and stuff like that. I yeah. like that. Um, that was very fulfilling. And then, like, on this project, it will be very – the Coral project will be very fulfilling to see their team just not have to waste time sifting through listings – trying to curate listings because it'll just be done automatically. Mm -hmm. I like that. So I'd say anything that involves automation and just making people's lives easier, improving processes is very fulfilling to me. Not so much the Minecraft stuff though. That wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't super fulfilling. That's all right. Well, a lot of kids get like addicted and like their passion is. Oh, they uh... get so addicted. <laughs> they really get sucked in. Was that annoying? No, that's perfect. I love that. <laughs> because you want to design the game in a way that it is addictive. Yeah. Um, and the more hours they log, the better, because they're more likely to pay money for stuff if they spend more time on the game. So, I, this is kind of like totally off topic and stuff like that, but do you dirt bike? Love dirt biking. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I, I, like, when you think about like things that are fulfilling and things that you're passionate about, I'm curious to... to hear about like maybe like outside of work yeah like, what you're passionate about what you like doing 
I mean, I, like as far as just like sports and things to do, I mean, <laughs> I love cars. Like I yeah. love, and more more so than just like generic cars. Like I love um, like performance vehicles and like focusing on like acceleration yeah. stuff. Like I, I heavily track like, the performance <laughs> and acceleration statistics for all the new cars that are coming out and gauge them against each other. I just really like that for some reason. Yeah. I love the feeling of acceleration and that through. I love roller coasters, of course, dirt bikes, of course. Yeah. Um, skiing, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Um. So I think all you like the adrenaline. Yeah, the adrenaline yeah. just so much fun. I love that. Like the the risk it has to be like uh like low key dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, dangerous, but also like I don't want to feel like oh, there's a chance that I'm likely going to die. <laughs> like of course, like but that's kind of what the thrill comes from. Like, yeah. and that's kind of what a roller coaster does is it simulates the feeling of okay, I'm gonna die. Like this is terrifying, but you know you're 100 percent safe or very likely to be safe. I am so not a roller coaster person. Yeah. Like, it free up. It's scary. <laughs> and, like, even the idea of, like, skiing. I got invited to go skiing uh, with my boyfriend's family. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, like, so scared to yeah. go because, like, I don't know. Like, it, like Have you ever done it before? No. 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 <laughs> it, it's really not that much fun, like, the first few times because there's a big learning curve to skiing. Yeah. Um, But once you get it, I, mean, I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I, took, I took lessons when I was young and I was awful at it probably for, like, a full two years. <laughs> Um, are are you also like like passionate about um like problem solving and stuff like that? General problem solving is a lot of fun. Like I love yeah. I love math. Um, I love science and like general like especially like in relation to like the universe and just like high level science <laughs> of physics. It's just I think that's what's really fun to just think about. I would never work in it. I'm not great at it, but like it's fun to think about and like learn about. I love that stuff. Um. I mean, I find learning about the world to be really fulfilling, just like general, like that kind of stuff. And like outside of work, the most fulfilling thing for me, I mean, I don't know if this is cliche, but like having meaningful conversations with people, Uh like, but like, I mean, like you can talk to some people and it's like, it's kind of dry and surface level and that's fine, but it's really a lot more fun to just like talk to somebody and have like a good conversation, whoever it may be, or a group of people, um, that's and be mentally engaged you yeah. know because that's just way more fun than going out and getting drunk or doing something crazy and not talking like that <laughs> it's just way more fun to just like actually talk about things and be mentally engaged yeah like i, I sometimes would would feel that where i would love hanging out with like like a handful of people mm-hmm. rather than hanging out with like a ton of people that i'm not even sure like me or not yeah <laughs> yeah and it, it's very surface level, like, when you're around a bunch of people that you don't know, too. Because you kind of have to play the dance of, like, oh, I'm a normal person, or you too. Like, and you kind of <laughs> you have to feel people out, and it just takes a lot of time to do that. But, it, I mean, it's important to meet new people, of course. But generally, like, when I find somebody that's, like, actually like, fun to talk to, I'm like, okay, I want to talk to this is one of the people that I'm going to talk to now. So, yeah. Um, one other thing that I wanted to talk to you about was, um, uh, do you think it's accurate for me to call you, like, a um, uh, kind of like a what's it called um like a elon musk fanboy no. oh fanboy yeah absolutely not absolutely not no i'm not an elon musk fanboy i've been a critic really yeah oh i i saw the um the the tesla tequila so i thought that of course i want the tesla tequila. <laughs> i'd never bought a bottle of tequila before so i was like this is a good first one to get also that wasn't that was also an investment the bottle so i got it for 300 dollars, and the bottle is selling now on ebay empty without the tequila in it for like 1200 dollars. so i can i'm gonna flip the bottle and make money which is just i mean it's just crazy like there's so much hype there's so much hype around Elon. I never thought that I would hear that. I'm gonna, like, f- yeah. I'm gonna flip this tequila bottle. <laughs> Just the bottle, not the tequila. Um, 
And I, I drank the tequila too, but I don't know. I'm not like tasteful when it comes to tequila. So I was just like, okay, it's tequila. Well, I, mean, I can't drink. I'll be like yeah. on the ground. In, I, I, uh, I had a, um, oh, what was it? It was like a, a hard cider. Yeah. And I fell asleep on my couch. It was like one. <laughs> that, that honestly sounds like a good move to me. That sounds like a lot of fun. Very affordable. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Huh. But as far as Elon Musk goes, I think he's like, has a really smart guy, of course. Yeah. Like, he's one of the great minds, but like, he's very hyped up. Like, yeah. people hype him up a lot, and he has a lot of fanboys. And I mean, I'm not insulting him at all. Like, I think he's a wonderful engineer and a yeah. great business person, but like, I'm not getting on the train of Elon Musk is just the best human being to ever live, and I'm just going to suck up to him no matter what, because yeah. that's what a lot of people seem to do. So I don't want to be categorized as an Elon <laughs> Musk fanboy, because I'm definitely not. I'm glad that yeah. we, we uh... definitely not. <laughs> But I'm also not, that. I'm not insulting him though. Like, I mean, I have a Tesla. It's a wonderful car. Like, yeah. I think he's done a lot of really cool stuff and he probably will continue to. And I'm yeah. excited to see, but I'm not going to suck up to anybody like that. You know, like, are you interested in his space stuff? Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, yeah. it's interesting to see a private company come along and actually like do for profit space stuff. Cause that's where the real innovation is going to happen. How do you feel about the three horsemen of American, uh, business going into space <laughs> what is it bezos yeah. uh richard Be branson oh richard branson and then and, uh, elon uh, musk yeah. of course it's, it's kind, really it's kind of strange i feel like they're i feel like branson and uh bezos are both just seeing the following that elon musk has and they're like mm. hmm, i want to get on this train i want a bunch of people <laughs> to suck up to me and love me so like that they're getting so onto weird. that train like like do you remember when well obviously we weren't around but like going to space was government thing yeah like it, and then we're just having like the same guy that i bought this mic from yeah doing that that's kind yeah. of weird isn't it mr bezos <laughs> mr bezos yeah it's certainly strange it's it's he he's, he seems like a really odd guy to be honest with you i mean clearly yeah. he's incredibly intelligent but he seems very odd um yeah. i mean i think they're all odd in some way they got it i think they have to be partially crazy to be that smart yeah um but, I mean, just his face when he came down and he was wearing, like, he came down and there was, like, press there interviewing him. And he was wearing his spacesuit still. And he had, uh, like, a Rolex on outside of the spacesuit. Like, he had clearly, like, taken it off and then put it on on the outside of the suit so everybody could see it. And it was, like, a big, like, million-dollar Rolex. And it was just odd. It was just odd. Like, he was, like, flexing. And I was just like, why, dude? Like, you're Why does that guy ever think he needs to flex ever He doesn't again? need to flex. He can just wear a t-shirt. And he'll be like, oh, my God, it's Bezos. <laughs> People will make songs about him, you know? Have you ever seen the photos of, like, him when he first started out with a book? Yeah, like, yeah. And then it's, like, him. And then you see the one where he's, like, jacked. Yeah, yeah. like, the, the white yeah, he black looks, t-shirt. Yeah, he looks evil. He's just absolutely jacked. Um, yeah, I mean, like, when you have enough money, I'm sure he's going to get a real good personal trainer and yeah. he's going to have a, I'm sure he has a stylist that tells him like, this is how you're going to look good. We're going to get rid of that hair that's falling apart on your head. Like, yeah. I'm sure all that stuff's been taken care of. We're going to wax it like a, yeah. like yeah. a bowling ball. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even, on, even Elon Musk's appearance has like appreciated, like he's, he also looked kind of like, he didn't have great hair and stuff. And like, <laughs> now like his hair looks great. Like, yeah. cause he has it makes sense for him to just be like, Oh, I'm going to hire like a fashion and like beauty consultant for huh. like whatever amount of money it takes and just have them deal with everything and make me look better. Like, why not? So I don't have to deal with it myself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like he doesn't need to. Um, that makes sense. Like Branton's been around for a while. I don't know. I don't he's know. Kind of a ton the about OG. Him. Yeah. He seems like he is the OG. <laughs> like I've done a few case studies on him, uh, for school, but I was seems... like just on your own. 
No, no, no. No, I, I don't do case studies for fun on my own. Rest assured. Um, I definitely would not do that. But he, he's also really interesting. I mean, it's, just, it's a strange phenomenon that they're going to space. It seems like yeah. it seems like a race to flex by being in space, which seems like a weird thing to me. But I, it feels like it's it's not allowed. Like I feel like it's it's like. I, you can do that if you have enough money yeah, to. Like, where well, they're do doing space that? tourism now. That's crazy. Like Bezos, that's what Bezos wants to do. He wants to actually have people like pay four hundred fifty thousand dollars to go to space. Isn't it like to go up to the end of the atmosphere and then come back down? Yeah, like you go like briefly into orbit and then you come back down. That's kind of crazy. I, I don't know if it's worth four hundred fifty thousand dollars, <laughs> but that's okay. Like, I mean, it's, it'll probably feel like a really high plane ride, but you're in like a rocket. I guess, I don't know how he's gonna do you it. Can do exactly. a couple flips. Yeah, I guess. Like are, you can already do zero-G simulations where they just take a plane up like high in the atmosphere and just plummet it straight down. Yeah. And then you get the feeling of zero-G. Yeah, and they did that with uh, his, uh, Usain Bolt. Yeah. You see, uh, they had um, they had him and like a couple like astronaut guys that were like used to the zero-G, and yeah. then they did a race. Oh, really? <laughs> Who won? From, I think one of the non-Usain Bolt guys. Okay. That's <laughs> and they were like, fastest man on Earth versus fastest man in space. Yeah. It's, it's a solid competition. It's a question that needed to be answered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, like, what do you think about the comparison between uh, Musk and um, Bezos? Like, they seem like very different dudes. They definitely are. <laughs> I mean, like, Musk uh, seems like an engineer at heart. Yeah. Bezos, I was actually talking about this yesterday, I think. And Bezos seems like a lot more like a, a businessman. Yeah. Um, I think that's clearly reflected in their companies. Not yeah. to say that... Bezos isn't a good I mean I don't know if he's much of an engineer but like not to say that he's not good at like marketing and other things I'm sure he's exceptional at those things too and not to say that Musk isn't good at business like clearly he's good at that too but um I think they both have different specialties like places that they're truly exceptional Mm -hmm. and I mean these are just exceptional people of course they're gonna they're (laughs) like they're gonna like Musk like if I say business isn't his strong suit he's still a hundred times better at it than I am you know (laughs) And that's not his strong suit, you know, like. Yeah, I remember. Um, like I would always, I, I, I love listening to that guy talk. He's such like a, a weirdo. He is weird. Yeah. <laughs> He's strange. Like, uh, um, uh, just like listening to him, uh, say stuff like, uh, "Oh, you wouldn't want to be in my head." Or, oh yeah, it's like that, that it's thing. really it's really awkward, but that's how you know it's genuine. Yeah. You know, like I feel like he's telling the truth. And it's not like a finely curated like marketing ploy or something like PR stunt. The things he says, he just yeah. tells it straight. Like his Twitter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> seems like a bad idea, honestly. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't love that, especially how much it moved the stalker. But you can tell when he gets really excited about something and it's legitimate. Like he rolled out the Tesla Model S Plaid. I don't know if you saw that. They released a new version of the Model S, which is like their flagship sedan. Yeah. And it's just ridiculous. It's like the quickest accelerating production car on earth. Just, yeah. he was just like, oh, we're just going to release the quickest car on earth, period. Like faster than any supercar, like multi-million dollar cars. And it's, oh, it only costs $125,000. Like, yeah. And he was really excited about that to be up on stage and be like, this is the quickest production car on earth. Like, and you could see the smile on his face. He was like, yeah. I own He's like, yeah. <laughs> he's this. like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I did this. Like, and you can tell he's excited. And that's how you know it's really cool and like legitimate and exciting. It's not like a marketing place. Like, this is the quickest production car. Like, he's truly excited about it. And you yeah. can tell because he's genuine all the time or at least appears to be genuine all the time. Yeah. So what do you think about guys like that, that um, they manage so many different things? I don't know how they do it. Yeah, because I, I'm like, are, do you not sleep? Do you just they must a, not. They honestly must not. Do they have like a medication we don't have? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what, how they do it because, I mean, 
I don't, I know I wouldn't be capable of it, yeah. but even if I was like, I think I would go crazy. Yeah. It's not something you would ever want. Oh, definitely not. And yeah. I mean, it, it would be a terrible thing to want to, because it'd be very unlikely that I would get it. Like <laughs> it'd be very unlikely. So, I mean, uh, it's not really, it's not really a concern of mine that I'll suddenly be in that situation. Not a concern at all. Yeah. Um, because it's just on a new level. Um, but I would really hate to have that job. Um, and just have that much responsibility. It's too much. Like, I feel like they don't have time to actually live and like be humans and go do fun things. Like Elon Musk doesn't really get to go on a one week vacation with Grimes, his yeah. wife or girlfriend or whatever's going on there. Like <laughs> he doesn't get to go on a, yeah, whatever's happening there. And his, his kid one, two, three, four. Yeah. The kid like <laughs> zero X one or whatever. Yeah. I mean, they don't get to go on family vacations casually for a week where he doesn't pick up the phone. Like yeah. that doesn't happen for him and it never will unless he just drops everything which i don't think he ever will because they're just so committed to their work his life is working now yeah so he better love it like yeah um i don't want that and i think i think 99.99 percent of people don't want that you know somebody's got to do it yeah so somebody's got to make the fastest car in her yeah, I guess. I guess. I mean, I think he actually just did that just to say he did it. Yeah. Because it really wasn't necessary. And I don't yeah. think it's a huge profits move for Tesla because, I mean, a lot of people will buy it, but compared to like other cars, like the Model 3 that they're pushing out in the consumer grade cars, it's really not going to crank as much money for them. Um, I think it's just more of a flagship thing. It gets people hyped up about Tesla, mm-hmm. gets people talking about it, which in turn will help their other cars. I mean, a lot of brands do that. Like, a lot of companies will release flagship cars um, and just flagship products in general mm-hmm. that gets people excited about the lower end products. Like Apple releases the Mac pro their desktop computer. Um, and it's like controversial and super expensive oh, okay. and it gets people talking and people are like, wow, like Apple can release a $30,000 premium desktop. I can't afford that, but Hey, the Mac. Did you say what I think you just said? What? 30,000. Yeah. You can spec it to around $30,000. That's like a down payment. I uh, know it is. It, it legitimately is. It, it legitimately is. But it, it's also rocking like the best specifications and like enterprise grade hardware. It's something that yeah, for ne- like the next five years. It's something that neither you or I could ever use. It's for like very intensive rendering, oh. like that kind of stuff. It's a flagship computer. We wouldn't be able to make good use of it unless yeah. we're doing like heavy rendering tasks. Yeah. Um. So, they, but they release that it gets people talking, and then people go to the Apple Store to see it, and they think about it. And like, well, the MacBook Air seems pretty appealing at eleven hundred bucks. Like in comparison. Yeah, but the, yeah. It, it sort of sets the brand up. Like, flagship products will set the brand up and make them look premium, yeah. which I think it is a premium brand. Like, like you see that with cars, too, and, like, Tesla. Like, Tesla's going to release their Roadster supercar, and then people will be like, that's super cool. I can't afford that, but what about, like, the Model 3 or the cheaper cars that they have coming soon? Like, it gets people talking. Yeah. Um, and it makes you think, like, oh, this is a nice brand. Like, I own... I own a Tesla and they also made the Roadster, the crazy $300,000 car. Yeah. I'm like, but it's the club. same brand. Yeah. Like yeah. you're in the club with the other people that have the really cool car, you yeah, know? Yeah. And that, I mean, it applies to a lot of products like flagship products, but there he's playing that out now, just like every other car manufacturer did. Um, I wonder what it's, I don't know. I wonder what it's like to be in that guy's family. <laughs> like, it's just like, just, like, I don't know. Just like have a conversation. Oh, it's like going to be so him. weird. Well, there was a video, um, of him interacting with his like ex-wife and I, I don't know if they had a kid or something but I think he has some kids from that marriage. Yeah, yeah so they, they like some interviewers went in like reporters went into his house and they did like a house tour with him and he was just unbelievably awkward it was so <laughs> it was just such an uncomfortable situation like you, you should definitely look it up it, it, it's pretty funny um <laughs> he's not real yeah I don't know <laughs> 
I think he's just really nervous. He probably has a lot more confidence now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess showing off your house, I'd be nervous too. Yeah. But it, like, it was just strange. And having the entire world watching, like... The interaction with the kids was really strange. It was just odd. He was like, yep, those are my kids. Um, there. Okay. They and exist. it was just, he was like, yep, they are humans. Like, <laughs> that is cool. Was, I'm trying to convince that they are also human. <laughs> yeah, they are also human, just like me. I am human. Like, it, it was very, it was very robotic and strange. You should look it up. It's pretty entertaining. Um, I will look it up and I'll add it to the yeah. Put the it in the put in the links. Yeah, Elon Musk awkward. They, there's probably compilations of him being <laughs> awkward. Yeah, but I love that. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. If there's anything else I wanted to talk to you about while I still have you here? Is there anything else that you have on your mind? I mean, nothing in particular. I mean, I think I had a little list here, and I think yeah. we went through everything on the list just naturally, honestly. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um. I'd love to hear more about your web development endeavors. Oh, and I know me? that I set you up with a client, so I'm really excited to see how that scales out. Um, I actually have a meeting with her on Wednesday. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I had my first meeting with her. We have the contract signed, and I'm, I'm meeting with her again Wednesday. Awesome, awesome. She's great. Did I'm not going to say her name or anything. Yeah, she did it. Don't. Yeah. She's, she's, a, she's a delightful lady. I'm sure you'll love working with her. Yeah. But um, I am just swamped on work, so if anything comes up for more static development, I'll send it your way. Oh, thank um, you. But unfortunately, most of it is like back-end work and I'm just turning stuff away now because I just don't have the time yeah and if anybody is a competent front-end developer that knows react please email me <laughs> please I will pay Absolutely. you I will pay you please email me I need react developers <laughs> I uh um I, I won't say which guy and and don't react but uh and I think I told you I, I got an email um today uh from that uh uh web building company oh, okay uh today yeah. and he's thinking about coming on like soon exciting yeah. well i hope, hope we get to see that that would be really exciting yeah i i don't even know what i'm gonna ask him i'm like very excited but i don't know yeah i'll, I'll probably we'll do see. like another like uh creepy deep dive <laughs> no that's totally fine i don't think it's creepy at all i mean i think it's good that you do research like i do a kind of like a little like too much i was i was on uh, the person that i had this morning like i found her pinterest from like 2014 <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not hard with a google search you just search their name or email and it's gonna come up you if you d do a deep dive on anybody it's you're gonna find all different kinds of inter interesting yeah. stuff on google but yeah but yeah it's, it's like i i love web development it's like so fun like webflow is great like mm -hmm. i i don't know there, there's so many great things i i really so happy that i started out with graphic design because like wireframing makes so much more sense yeah and then like uh getting rid of my you can never get rid of your ego, but like killing it a little bit more yeah. <laughs> and, and trying to actually like be open to people, uh, giving you feedback on your yeah. stuff and stuff like that. It's like, I feel like it made me a totally like better person. I yeah. don't know if that makes sense. It can be, it can be hard to get feedback. Especially yeah. when you think you made a good decision. Somebody's like, actually, no, I don't want it this way. I know the client. I'm like, okay, I'll do it your way. Okay. Um, I mean, you just kind of got to do it when you're working for somebody else. Like, yeah. that's just kind of how it goes. But I have a project that's uh, wrapping up soon, and I'm yeah. really excited about it. Um, I'm working with the architecture company, and I'll say who they are and post about it later. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about that. And, yeah, it's just that that's pretty much what's yeah. going on in my yeah. life. You'll, you're going you're gonna to have to send me some of this stuff. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll talk more about WebDemon on our own, too. Um, yeah. And there's, there's so many more things that we can jump into on that, especially in back-end development that I could go into depth on. I just don't know the scope of, of this and if it really yeah, how yeah. technical it is. But, um, yeah, I mean, and I'm sure if you stay in web development, you'll learn a lot more of the back-end stuff, too, because that's where it can start to make dynamic sites and starts to get interesting, I think, and make 
you know, features and not just visual presentations. Yeah. Um, and then also if you can do that and you're good at presenting the information visually in UX, like make a lot of money and do, <laughs> and, and make some really cool sites and like yeah. help a lot of people out. So okay. there's definitely a lot of demand for it right now. There's no shortage of that. And if anything, there's a, a shortage of developers that can actually get it done. So, yeah. and I don't know. There, there's definitely like a lot that I need to learn in terms of like how to take my Webflow stuff to like the next level. Well, you're going to have to leave Webflow. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, I mean, Webflow, like it's a building system. Yeah. Like it builds websites in their system. And if you really want full flexibility, you're going to have to build it on your own Yeah. with whatever. I mean, I guess you could use like HTML and CSS and stuff, but there's more efficient ways to do things like this templating languages and like react, which is sort of a wrapper around HTML, CSS and JavaScript all in one thing. That's mm-hmm. like, pretty much what everybody's using now is react to make applications um kind of the flagship now yeah um that's it just learn that yeah because there's a lot of demand for react developers and you can make really anything you want react anything yeah it's really cool so so i guess in the next couple months like where would i even start learning about that youtube yeah youtube's a great place and i'll i'm happy to help with whatever (laughs) um yeah, I mean, if you want, let me know and we could we could jump on and I can show you some of the basic programming stuff and just like how to set it up and get started. It's really, it's really not that difficult. It just takes time, you know, as with anything, mm-hmm. but um, it's not that hard. Like it, it can seem a little intimidating at first, but as long as you persist and like try to work through problems on your own and really with programming too, the big thing about learning it is knowing how to Google like problems that you have and mm-hmm. not have to ask for help. Because once you know how to Google, if you're like, okay, I have this problem. I want to Google it to figure it out. But a big skill is learning how to word it mm. on Google so that way you get an answer, mm-hmm. um, which is something that you figure out pretty quickly because half of programming is just fixing problems. Like you run into problems, you're like, I don't know how to fix this. You Google it. Yeah. And that's really what you're going to spend like a lot of your time doing is just Googling problems and trying to figure out how to do things. Mm-hmm. And there's so many answers to literally every problem, especially if you're building like a relatively simple site. Every it's problem you run into, they've had before. Yeah, it is, but yeah. you, you just got to push through. You just got to push through the hard part. And then it's, it's so rewarding. Yeah. You, you feel so free, too, to do whatever you want. Because I can look at an application, like a basic React application, and be like, okay, like, this is a blank slate. Like, I can build literally anything I want right now. Yeah. Like, Facebook is built on React. Like, their whole thing. Really? Facebook created React. Pretty sure. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. I think they did. And then also, if you mm. know... Um, React native, you can create native web applications, too. Um, so... Yeah, sure. Um, but I'd say I'd say if you're gonna go for something, definitely go go for React. Yeah, yeah, because that's something that I wanted to do later on. Yeah, Facebook made it right here on GitHub. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to go from I wanted to have websites, but I also wanted to be able to do applications. Yeah. Um, React, React, yeah. React. If you if you want to dive into it, I'd, I'd just start with like basic HTML, CSS, JavaScript, see how that interacts, and then. React is a framework built on top of those languages. Yeah. Um, and it's just not that hard. It's just, you can't be that intimidated. So so where you're at right now with, with uh, Coral is a, like a contracted position, but it's kind of like a really good relationship that you have with him. Yeah, yeah. I so, mean, he was, we were just out and he told me about these like pain points he was having with the business and scaling. And I was like, well, I think this might be an opportunity to build out a platform. I can do that if you would like. I have availability. <laughs> so if you would like that, I can do that. And he's like, yep, let's do it. Wow. Um, so I guess, yeah, I'm like a contractor for him. Yeah, but, so so this isn't, um, at least at the moment, unless he hires you full-time for a full-time position, uh, this is kind of like where you're at right now. Are you someone who kind of has like 
uh, a a hopeful plan for the next couple of years? Or are you no. just like kind of trying to make it to I'm totally Tuesday? fine just floating around. <laughs> I, I'm totally fine just floating around and taking whatever project I think is interesting week by week. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I have commitments to some projects and I need to complete them. But I'm totally fine just sitting around for a couple of weeks with no major projects and just waiting to see something come up. I'm, yeah. I, I'm I'm very flexible. I don't I don't really create like long term plans like that and try to stick to them. It's yeah. It's difficult to stick to them, especially with work. It's more exciting when new things come up randomly and you get to explore them. Uh, I guess the the last question I want to ask you uh, before we wrap up is like, when you look back on everything, um, do you have any? Do you think there's any point in your life that you had like really wish you had advice from yourself now? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of points. It, it's always helpful to go back. Cause I mean, like we said earlier, hindsight is 2020. I've definitely made so many mistakes yeah. and I wish I could go back and tell myself like, Oh, this is not worth boring. I mean, even beyond work, just little things in life. Of course, it'd be great to be able to go back and like sit down with myself for five minutes, be like, look, this is not worth worrying about. This is not worth your time or focus more on this. Like yeah. this really matters. It's going to matter later. Of course. Um, I, of course, I feel that way, just like anybody else does. Does anything come up? Um, not not in particular. Um, I mean, I know that you can't change the past, and yeah. that's just how it is. And there's no point in sitting around thinking, "Oh, like things would have been better if I did this or this." That's yeah. just it's just not productive or helpful for me to do that. In fact, it's only going to lead to like unhappiness if I were to do that. So I try not to focus on those things. So let's take you out of the equation. Sure. Like, let's say there's a guy named. Uh, Tam. Tam, okay. Not Cam. Tam. Tam. Tam, okay. Uh, would you have any advice for that kid? Or would you have any advice for your brother or anything like that when it comes to, like, let's say he's come, going down a similar path as you? Um, like, or, or just like a kid listening to this? Um, I mean, I would say really develop the skills of learning things on your own um, and not relying on upper level like education at all mm. and try to find advisors more so than like take classes because i think a lot of people right now when they want to learn school like oh i'll take a class on that it's like sure you can take a class on that or you can learn it a lot faster on your own at your mm. own pace like that if you're really motivated with something you shouldn't wait for a class to come around and have somebody spoon feed you the information slowly like just dive into it learn about it on your own everything's available on google there's literally like ivy league classes that yeah are everything is available on online YouTube. and then so. also you get to curate the learning experience to what you're interested in you can yeah. skip the stuff that you don't think is useful to you yeah. and do the things that are useful and really explore those more deeply yeah. um i think like, i picked up on that skill and i'm obviously still developing it as everybody does but um that's been most valuable to me and i know some people that don't do that they they rely on classes to teach them things and like oh well if i want to learn about whatever i have to take a, ma a major or a minor in it or go back to school and you just don't yeah and it's, it's such a great tool that everybody has all this information available and it seems like some people don't take advantage of it i think that it's so cool that there's like so much thing so many things that are out there but it's just like it's weird I, and and you kind of look back and you're like you, you think uh, do you think college is gonna be like a thing in like four yeah years? it's something I, I think about too like like and then be. that kind of like changes the um the barrier for entry. Yeah, there's a lot of barriers to entry. It's a shame because there's a lot of really smart people that get overlooked in job applications because they don't have a degree from some prestigious university. Like, who cares? Or they they couldn't afford it. Like, yeah. that should be no reason that anybody should be turned away. Yeah, that's so silly. But that's just kind of how the system is set up right now. 
And it's nobody in particular's fault. Mm -hmm. It's not employers being mean. It's just, it's a safer bet to go with somebody that has a degree. It's just safer. And there's plenty of people with degrees. It's not really a rarity. And it's a shame. Um, Hopefully that system changes. We can only hope. But uh, college is also great for growing up. Like for me, I was, felt like I was much more childish or I I was, I was just much (laughs) younger and I probably still am childish to some degree, but I've just grown up and become more of an adult through my college experience. And that's mostly because I was just on my own. as with everybody, I think, that came here. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There, there's a part of me that's like, do we really need to spend, like, so much money? Like, you could literally, like, in some places, like, buy a house for the amount of money that you yeah. put into college. It's crazy. But at the same time, it's just, like, you should normalize, like, keeping this, this like, leaving home thing. Yeah. And, like, doing your own thing. And, like, if you just look at that in, like, maybe, uh, like, a internship track mm-hmm. or and rent... Like that barrier entry is so much lower, mm-hmm. than, but then there's so many things that I learned in design school that are they're like so helpful. So it's kind of like I don't know. I guess it's just whatever's right for you and like whoever, whatever way you choose, it either should be a something for you at the yeah. end. It definitely depends on the major too, yeah. like what field of study. Like yeah, I feel like uh, um, like architecture and engineering kind of still are in that yeah. world. I don't think it, I don't I don't think it's a bad thing that yeah. people go and study. I mean, it's definitely a good thing. It's just very expensive and if you're willing to pay that yeah. which we both were that's great but some people can't yeah. and that shouldn't be a reason that they shouldn't have the same opportunities as us to get work because they could like i wish it was based more on certifications yeah but, i mean i don't know yeah well thanks so much for for coming on yeah, today thank you so much thank you so much for having me what did you think did you have a good time of course it's so much fun <laughs> I mean, you're asking me questions about myself. Everybody yeah. likes to talk about themselves. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hope you had fun because, like, I, I try to, like, learn a lot about you so I can ask, like, fun questions yeah. and guide the conversation to, like, yeah. learn more about you. Yeah, so, definitely. So, yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah. The, the last thing that I do when we close up is I, I talk about, like, if people want to learn more about me, uh, where they could find me and stuff sure. like that. And then if they want to reach out to you, if there's, like, React developer sure. that wants to... Can you just put my email in the description? Yeah, yeah. We'll, that would we'll be... Do, we'll do all that. That would be really helpful because <laughs> maybe somebody will hear it. I, I am desperately looking for React developers, honestly. Perfect. Okay. So um, so I'll start out and then we'll end up with you and then we'll close out. Sure. Okay, okay. Um, so, hi. My name's Emily Giordano. <laughs> and um, I am a web designer and web flow developer and I, I love my job. It's, it's really fun. There's always something new to learn. There's really not really any limits in terms of things that you can do. And it's just, it's so fun. And, and there's so many different projects that you can do. So many di- like if on the spectrum of uh, like making a static website that you want to be like an elevated version of your business card to on the total other end of the spectrum where you can log in and have an account and do all of these super cool things. There's, there's so much that you can do. So if you want to reach out to me, you can email me at emily, E-M-I-L-Y, at greatdesignly.com, or you can uh, find my website, which is greatdesignly.com, or you could find my YouTube channel, um, which is where I do a bunch of uh, reviews of websites, and so it's you can see the way I react to websites, and also if there's something in there that you really, really like and you want to incorporate like a, the idea of it or a feature of it into your own site, we can uh, talk about it there, and you can kind of, in addition to the podcast and hearing me here, you can also learn about me there. 
Um, but yeah, so we're going to finish up with Cam and then we'll close out. Yep, and I'm Cameron Kelleher. Uh, I'm a developer, just like uh, Emily here, and I'm hiring React developers. <laughs> so if anybody is a React developer or a front-end developer with a lot of experience with templating languages, HTML, CSS, user experience, design, Figma, that kind of stuff, please, please shoot me an email. My email is cam at E-L-M-N-T-S dot C-O. Perfect. Yeah. And that will be in the description. Yeah, it'll be in the description as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Alrighty. So I guess this is just goodbye until next time. Yeah, until next time, which probably won't be very long. <laughs> yeah.